Hey there, folks. Welcome back once again. It's the Uticast, episode 147, and this week we are joined by Angela Johnson of BB Designs as she gets us hyped for the One World Flower Fest on May 12th. Uh, also this week, we are joined by the man behind Maiden Utica, Justin Parkinson, to go in-depth on his Handshake City project. Uh, he's on the paper, so you might have seen his beardless face. Also this week, uh, we get into some history lessons. We're going to talk about the Doomsday Report. We're going to talk about all sorts of Stephen King, about 311, about music, a bit of a bit of an all-over-the-place episode, but good stuff all the way around. Again, folks, we're happy to have you back. Oh, yeah. Welcome back, folks. It's the Uticast episode 147. I am your host, producer, Sam Pimolaro. Joined as always, Kevin Sullivan. Kevin, what's up, buddy? Uh, here I am, once again, 147. 147. Another week going into the books as we speak. Yesterday was the first time in a long time that I started thinking about like potential like future episodes. I was like, we're getting closer to 200 than I gave it credit for, right? Like I <laughs> only 53 weeks, only one full calendar year to go. I one year away, one, <laughs> one year, year away. away from it. You know, Yodel- well, that's a tease. But something else will be happening one year for today, which we're going to close the show with. But there's a tease for the end of the show. I'm one special. year older. That's true. We'll be oh, one year look. Older. <laughs> hey, speaking of... <laughs> look what the cat dragged in. <laughs> speaking that's of... the logic for this show. Oh, God. We will be one year older next year. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, Heather has had a very poor afternoon today. I won't get into the details, but she could not make it. Uh, so, of course, we called in the most popular man in Utica this afternoon. Front page. Front page. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Did you know... I almost spit out my coffee. Yeah, did you, did you have any idea you were going to be on the front page? No. Or did you know there was going to be something about it? Um, yeah, I knew there was going to be an article, but what I had assumed was it was just going to be online or maybe in the paper somewhere. Um, they took pictures and, like, a video and stuff, but, like... I don't know. I just assumed it was for the internet. <laughs> Everything's for the internet. Yeah, well. Now, I want to shout out very specifically GFOP, Kate Riley, who gets mentioned a lot in this article and did a lot for this project. Um, but she sent out a tweet to you specifically, Kevin, and she seems angry with you because you gave Justin the crazy sweatpants that he's wearing in the public photo that was taken with the wolf on them. Yeah. I, I didn't know I saw that. that wasn't that type of story. It was like really that's why the wolf, That's why the wolf pants are supposed to be house pants. Well, <laughs> Although house I pants. guess, I, you know, I can't, I can't pretend that I didn't know what was going to happen <laughs> when I purchased those wolf pants. And those wolf pants almost function like a scarlet letter. Yeah. I'm like, as long as you're still seeing them out there in the wolf pants we've got a ways to go before we make it out of the forest well, <laughs> even those pants couldn't stop this park from happening which is still Somehow. I mean, amongst all things there's a, a million things that should have killed this and yes. the pants are the least of them so now and that's something that I, i'm gonna i need you listeners to really take this one in because i'm gonna do something that i very rarely do on this show uh, i'm going to tell you very earnestly justin 
I'm sorry. <laughs> because a lot of times... No, no. I, and again... Because you thought this was a crazy idea? No, because a lot of times you come at me with crazy ideas. <laughs> and I'm never really sure which ones that I should, like, agree to... Uh, to get involved in with, right? Yeah. Like, when you're like, I'm going to buy an RV, I was like, mm, I don't know about this one. This does not You see- were right about that one. I was right about that and one, but I don't see, like... On that one, I'm big enough man to come around and say, <laughs> oh, are you right? right? No, I'm not. <laughs> I was going to say, you are certainly not. That's breaking news. <laughs> That's breaking news. No, you're still wrong about uh, the RV. But no, but I would say that when you... The RV will rise again. Yes. <laughs> this was not an RV scenario where I... I wasn't sure about this project, but there was a specific moment. I think you showed me a video of like the thing you had seen that, and I was the first time I'd seen the video you showed me with the prototype the part. Yeah. yeah, and I sort of had an idea, a better idea of what you had in your mind. And uh, I guess I got to ask before we talk about the article, where did you get this idea? Like, why, why containers, and where did this come from? Um, Should we say what the idea is for anybody who didn't see? Yeah, the are we burying oh, in the lead? I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's a great point. So let me uh, assume everybody's like, "Oh, Justin's in the news. Let me cancel my day." <laughs> so if you guys, how many people have told me they see me in the paper today? You won't believe it. Well, if you saw the Observer, how did they get a hold of you? Yeah, who got a hold of you? I got Katie must be so annoyed. No, there's 50 <laughs> papers on the front step. People just keep throwing their <laughs> little personal notes on there. Throw it back. Yeah. <laughs> so this is from the Observer Dispatch. Our good friend Greg Mason. Shout out to Greg. Uh, made Utica approved for a bag square container park. Uh, that headline was more than I even knew. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I swear I, to God. That I was did. the other question I had. Just how much of this did you know before you woke up today? Uh, not a lot. Not that it was. That headline is incredibly strong from where I was standing yesterday. So uh, <laughs> community group is taking steps to launch the early phases of Handshake City, a proposed urban container art park that will fill roughly four thousand square feet of a vacant city-owned property at uh, Whitesboro Street and Railroad Street. Uh, found in Brooklyn, Long Beach, other cities' container parks are designed as adaptable and movable. Uh, made in Utica rent container space to local businesses with Handshake City, named after Utica's moniker, popularized in 1970. By the way, I think the best part about this is that you got Handshake City over as a positive because most people say that as a Wait, negative. You know, what's funny is, again, this newspaper article has been very surprising. The mayor hates Handshake City for the record. Of course he does. <laughs> of course he does. Because <laughs> um, he was well, around. Got, yeah, yeah, yeah he knows. So we got that on the record there. He is not endorsing of Handshake City, but the idea itself. Um, but yeah, it's the same thing as do it for Utica, right? Like it's something that carried a negative uh, connotation or whatever. So we'll take it and reconfigure that, right? Yeah. So like, That's sure, good. people will think this of that, but then we can we can kind of change the perception maybe with something more modern and cooler. Mm. Uh, Justin Parkinson of Made in Utica said he equates the concept to, quote, the Airbnb of retail. Justin Parkinson of Made in Utica, do you agree with that quote? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's not my... I mean, I was quoted as saying it, but I was quoting, <laughs> I was quoting another person who actually used Airbnb at retail. That's somebody else's, like, like <laughs> So, let me ask you this. Uh, when... So, you didn't really know much about it till this morning, necessarily. Well... Like, you've been in... But you've been doing this for weeks and weeks. You guys months, have been... Yeah, yeah, like, two months, probably, of just, like, nonstop coffee meetings, regular meetings, uh, presentations, what, like just mm-hmm. doing everything from the groundwork. So we had to do community input. So we've talked to every business owner in Bag Square. We've done uh, county people, city people, community foundation people, every single person who you can think would go into a project like this, we've probably had a cup of coffee with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Greg came to me about that article, this was last week prior to our meeting with the mayor. So we talked to Greg before we even met with 
Paul Mary. Mm-hmm. So when he did all this, his follow-up, this is why some of that's surprising, because he went and did the follow-up. He's the last real reporter in Utica, I call him. Um, <laughs> I love Greg, by the yeah, way. Yeah, he is. He's like the only journalist left. Um, but he went and obviously sort looked for other information from other people besides just listening to me, which mm. I did recommend, for fairness. <laughs> I said yeah, yeah. you should talk to other people, because it probably yeah. sounds like I'm just a self-endorsing madman. But yeah. Um, that's part of it. Well, <laughs> be that as it may, that's up to him to go seek it out. But yeah, the, so the information he gathered mm. after he interviewed us is what would have kind of caught us off guard. So Brian Thomas confirming mm. that they're working on stuff. Not that we didn't know that. I wouldn't have known he was. You yeah. know, I was just like, yeah, sure, we'll look into it, and mm. then kind of shut the door and hopefully never talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's what I would have done if I didn't want to do this. So I'm surprised he's actually that far on board. So. Uh, and I'll get back to my original question. Where was your first, like, interaction with this concept idea, uh, this container space? Jeez. I found... I've wanted to do... Because of the RV concept in general, I've always had this, like, interest in uh, minimizing and small, smaller space type of deal. And we had an office in downtown for, like, what, like a year or something like that? I probably left <coughs> I don't know how long we were I think we went there. September to September. But we, yeah, but so, like, it, the tail end of it, nobody was using it, you know? But that's kind of the concept, is that even that was affordable, but it wasn't really for us. Like, we're third floor, it wasn't frontage, no. like, we couldn't really, we wouldn't have ran a business out of that, right? It was more for us just to hang out before we went out to, like, Derek or something, you know? <laughs> well, I think there's something to be said about that, right? Like, we talked to, when we talked to Devin from uh, the Uptown, Devin and Brianna mm-hmm. last week, they said that it was really important for them to have a storefront presence on Genesee Street, so they could sort of be a part of the community. Mm-hmm. I love the Maiden Utica offices we had, but we were by no means on the street level being able to interact with the community at that space. It yeah. was inaccessible to anybody except our pals yeah. for the most part. Well, even the basic thing of, like, uh, Bella or Gina, they locked the door and stuff, you know? So, like, you're sitting there waiting for someone for a 6 o'clock meeting. At 6, 6.15, they're yelling from the bottom floor. You have to go down three stories, unlock the door so they can come up and stuff. It was just, it's not a very friendly business type thing. But to get down in downtown... Um, with the shape that the buildings are in or the amount of space that's there, something smaller based on what we already do with the get-down, right? Or like what we did with Kevin at Saranac is bring vendors to a space temporarily, let them use it, mm. and then they can go. So if they want to keep their stuff there and rent out this space in the container all summer long, great. But if they wanted to pack their stuff back up, go home, continue to sell online, or go mm. to their secondary location or their first location, really so... Not that it would be Byte, but hypothetically think of a place like Byte, right? If they have a pre-existing business, they could still operate out of a container. Think of someone like Sarah Dustin from Adirondack Inc. operates online, she could operate out of a container. So there's a couple of different ways that businesses could get into these things, and they're all supposed to be done kind of on a small scale, temporary basis. Nobody's supposed to occupy this long term. It should be pretty minor, you know, three to six months, maybe a season's worth of leases, and then you keep rotating people out. So, um... A lot of it was to come up with that concept of what we already do for Made in Utica, but to cut out the need to find the space all the time. So if we approach Kevin to do something at the uh, brewery, there's insurances and working. You know, there's a lot of things that go into these type of things, even from a vendor standpoint, technically, like when selling in the city and popping things up, there are permits and all these things. We want to kind of get it all under one roof, um, one location where we can kind of cut out a lot of the... Uh, the overhead we have with with all the other stuff, so whether it be porta potties or insurance or permits or uh, vendor or fees to occupy a space or whatever, um, we don't have to deal with fifty of them anymore. We have one. So, I think it'll be something to be said too that if and I, I'm just I'm spitballing here, and I'll get to in a minute what we think like what the next steps are. But 
it'll be nice to have a space for like we've done great stuff with the spaces that have been allotted mm-hmm. to us over the time like that the space there uh, Franklin Square yep. space we've been able and to that'll do... still do movies and yoga <coughs> yeah. Like, that's not going to be neglected within this project either. We'll still sure. continue to use that. We just need something larger. So think of, like, the get-down. Mm. Um, now we'll be able to take it out of the alley and put it into a larger space. So if we wanted to put a band in there and actually wheel in the stage and use a whole entire thing, you start talking thousands of people now versus mm. hundreds. Um, do we get there immediately? No. But now we have the option to eventually reach there, right? So for this third year to get-down, if we wanted to try to bring in someone mega-large... We now have the space to cater thousands of people, you know, yeah. a couple large hundred amount of people. So that uh, too will also be nice. I've been thinking of a couple ideas. Sure. Uh, spitball for you guys for containers. So here you are. I'm seeking all sorts of investments. <laughs> so if you have your own cash, I'm especially listening. Um, I'm thinking. Uh, no uh, personal checks. Uh, well, I'm, I'm in trouble <laughs> right now. Uh, I'm thinking a container where you do like fresh juices and you call it. The juice box. The right? juice right? box. Am I right? I like it. It's pretty good, right? I like it. It's, it's That'd be bad. cool if you could squeeze the container in the air, just force all the juice out. <laughs> <That'd be terrible. laughs> Can't be any box ideas. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. Oh. Don't go there. <laughs> I, I, you said it. <laughs> nah, no. <laughs> so I got, I got a couple I, just in general of, well, you've heard Zach going crazy sure. about the ice cream machine. Or the ice cream stand. I think you've been down here listening to that. That's that's one crazy idea from our buddy Zach. It'd be nice, hard, I don't know, frozen ice cream, whatever the hell he's doing. Deep fried ice cream, something. Um, but even one with that raspberry pie, why don't we just put like a bunch of pies inside of a container and just do a bunch of retro gaming? You just sit like inside there Like an arcade? Day. Like a <laughs> inside a dark container now. An arc container. I don't know. Yeah. This, I don't know. Raspberry pie is not food. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We've just, oh, yeah, that's true. We've yeah. discussed raspberry pie in the show a yeah. before. Um. So, I gotta ask you one question, and uh, it seems like reading through this article and seeing a lot of the discussions, like, parking is a big issue here. It seems like you guys talk about parking a lot. Like, this seems to be a big, like, city issue in general, Mm -hmm. though, and I guess I don't work in, like, I don't work in a place where I ever have to struggle for parking, Uh, but I never realized how much, like, parking ties into the development of a lot of these things, like, how much we have to think about parking and such, and Kev, you guys just know that from having the brewery, having that big lot, like... yeah. And you guys are expanding. That's is what kind of well, not expanding, but you guys are doing work. Are you not? With there, yeah, there's construction. There's parking yeah. issues coming your way at least, right? That yeah. you normally don't deal with. Yeah, there's yeah yeah there's consistent parking issues. Anytime you try to draw people to, you know, you see it down with the comments games as well. Yep. With anything you want to get people to do downtown, if there's not a space for people to walk walk. When they park their car, you know, we live in a place where the weather changes. I mean, you look at it the way it is outside today. Yeah. It's horrible outside. Yeah. It's horrendous. Really By the day, literally. And it's, and it's you know, midway through April, and it's close to freezing and raining and really, really windy. And so it's a tough ask when you're going to have somebody come down and drive down to your business. You know, we're such a driving-centric area that yeah. when people come down, it's going to deter people if they've got to walk three blocks in weather like yeah. this. And some people, even in the nicest weather, are like, I don't want to park and walk, you know, for many different reasons. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the challenges that, you know, we've always faced downtown. That was one of the original downtown challenges before we had a reason for people to even park down there. They would yeah. talk about parking, you know. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, people would talk about it. And it's something they're going to have to find a way, whether it's changing the culture or finding a place to put it. But yeah. I think it's something you'll consistently hear about with every single thing that happens yeah. down there forever nobody's ever going to be satisfied with the amount either because even so our plans call for 
like kind of um we're in a, a mini phase there where we would like to see that lot developed into a full-on park right that they've done a study for and uh, four years ago through rusted green um and that has 80 to 100 spots into it right so like long-term parking would be there our vision has parking green space and retail which is everything that city private everybody would win if you could hit all three of those right like we can put businesses onto a tax base where we occupy the least we cover the taxes right boom done and i put think a bunch of businesses there paying sale tax done i think know? also something that happens with you know with the the main utica handshake city park idea is even if people are still parking on the street if you're mm-hmm. putting more things down there it's more accommodating to go park near uh something that looks like a facility that has function mm-hmm. As opposed to something that looks like a brownfield near the bridge, right? Right. Yeah. It's you know what I mean. So, and that's big pitch it, for us is connecting. It makes it feel well. That's and you know that's something you and me, Justin, we've talked about a billion times about basically connecting the dots, right, yep. between like developing areas and spots and businesses. And I think that's something you'll see. And even putting it down there, it makes it feel more um, occupied and more accommodating. So even you know. Even if it's not directly parking at the parking that will be provided at the park, it makes it look yeah. more occupied when you're down there. If you park a block away, it's not so daunting to walk up through bags because now you got a lot more stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you should park at the train station now, walk through the park, and go over to Taylor. That should mm-hmm. be part of your day. That's what we would like you to do, too. So, so like, parking on that lot... It's not super important to us. Parking right in front of Taylor is not mm-hmm. super important to us. But having the connecting that if you parked any of these multiple mm-hmm. places around there, now you're bridging them together. Because it's not as yeah. much always that parking's bad. It's that the good parking is far away from the good stuff. And you need to I mean, get them. Well, you know what I mean? Like, so, but walking in the city's not crazy. You know that. I'm, like, well, I'm a Utica College student, <laughs> right? Technically. I'm a grad student, but I work. I go to Utica College. I go to classes. Yep. I go to that Clark City Center twice a week for mm-hmm. my, for one of my, for two of my classes. And let me tell you. It's it's a mess yeah. down there. Like it's yeah. hard it's to find so a spot, right? Yeah. Even for forty five minutes, even for a half an hour, I'm parking like a block and a half down the street. Yep. And I can't tell you how many times in my reptile brain where I'm like, I can't find a parking space. I'm skipping this class. I'm going home. I'm yep. Like no, yeah, no, pull myself back in. You know what I was thinking about when I was down there the other day? I wanted to know what you guys would think because we all think about this area of mm. development. I think it would be awesome to see, because I was just thinking what you were saying about the two different spots of Bag Square. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things they need to do is connect, like, Utica Coffee area to the train station. Something else I was thinking about, you look at Bite, and then you look at where Utica Coffee and all those places yep. are. The problem is, with a risky new boulevard cutting through, mm-hmm. that's heavy, heavy lanes yes. of traffic, right? You know what I mean? There's some that await. supposed to be doing uh, the arterial, or the, or, there's a project going in there that should thin or what do they call it thin down you know what i mean shave mm-hmm. a little off the sides so they're right. going to squeeze yeah. that lane down and then make that 40 through there consistently and i believe it's going to go single lane and if it's not double there'll be parking on the sides of that boulevard mm-hmm. so even if you're flying so there's going to be cars parked to two sides and then you go through so i think mm-hmm. that they're trying to trim down that area by i want to say fall of this year is when that starts so that should help which is not a bad idea because something's got to be done but i was looking and i was thinking it would be a good idea to put a pedestrian bridge in down there Mm. that would be something and you know it's tough because to in order to properly put it in you have to make for ramp space and a lot of different things and it's a huge project but something where if i wanted to walk from yuka coffee over to bite i could do it on foot and not have to cross traffic that would make me more comfortable being down there with you know my theoretical dog my theoretical children my theoretical older relatives i can attest to that when we did the get down i mean damien was with us and we walked from bite over to yuka coffee just to i don't feel comfortable taking a four-year-old kid across this four lines of traffic basically to get to that side you know and and you're thinking why would i do that Mm -hmm. multiple times during that day it's like Mm -hmm. one trip and we're not going back across you know if you guys 
I got in trouble for this. Like, I got in a car accident down there. You guys remember that, obviously, yep. when I got that guy ran a risky boulevard and hit me going too fast, or I hit him because he took the wrong turn. Um, it's not, it's very easy. When there's a problem down there, too, it's a major issue. And my car was oh, yeah. on the side of the road. And that yeah, was yeah, up, like, probably. traffic was a mess, yeah, right? Yeah. It was disgusting. Well, that's a huge, I mean, that's the yeah. thing. We're, we're talking about turning, you know, one of the heaviest heaviest cross points for traffic, you know, in the city that routes yep. through a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. And that's also where we want all this walkable pedestrian area. And yeah. that's, you know, one of the large scale challenges going forward that we got to address. There's a lot of supplemental projects that are going on too, where I think we're getting to where we need to be with this park that has kind of helped us. So if you think of like the ag incubator, um, the U district stuff, um, whatever they do with the hospital, there's a lot of things where I think other construction you will see Mm-hmm. in terms of your rows and your walk spaces that will kind of supplement into our park. And then on the flip side, I think our park is good because it fits into those grander schemes that they do have in place. So this should be a, a larger project that should be solved within a year or two. You might start seeing realistic changes to well, those Well, I problems. think that's so, something that does get, you know, complimentary from the prospect of putting a hospital in down there is I think it does sort of spur on more of these things because it gives you more of an immediate reason, you know, you can say a hospital, regardless of what taxes it pays, what revenue it drives, and all that different yep. stuff. But at the end of the day, having that down there is more of a spur for people to take on side projects a block away, two blocks away, making it more walkable, yep. more manageable, slowing that part down a little bit. You well, know what I mean? Quite frankly, too, when you <clears throat> cram a bunch of people into one space and then go up, mm-hmm. right, instead of spreading them out, there's more money from the state that pours into those particular... You talking about air rights? No. <laughs> um, space. So, like, when you're looking at state money, too, for roads and bridges and right, all those right. things, putting mm-hmm. people jammed into one area and having to serve all those people is a, mm-hmm. a good thing. So anything with large scale just in downtown that crams a bunch of people, lofts, major development, whatever, yeah. uh, more state money that we're not currently getting for these projects because mm-hmm. there's not enough density to... Say hypothetically, forces to stay more competitive. <clears throat> right. So this is a quote from uh, Paula Horgan, who is the Rusty Green, New York director and associate professor in landscape architecture at Cornell University. Uh, she calls this idea an example of quote tactical urbanism, uh, creating temporary spaces to experiment with a concept to build momentum for larger products. Uh, I like this quote a lot, Parkinson. This is a good one. Uh, This kind of concept, putting a public park or square back in a bag square, is a really powerful concept. It really has the potential to stimulate the redevelopment of bag square and in a larger part, the city, unquote. High praise from the Rusty Green people for you, Parkinson. Yeah, their project in particular, probably. (laughs) I mean, we're in Japan here. Like, bag, yeah. We're like the... They've started a plan four years ago that I was saying um, that, that envisions a larger bag's kind of connectivity thing. So this is a very small portion of what they even still want to get done with their plan, which is still a small portion of what the mayor and the city want to do with their plan. So, like, we're literally flies on the wall for, like, a whole bunch of other stuff going on, you know what I mean? Which I'm kind of realizing through the process. Like, I don't know what everybody's ideas or plans are or whatever. We're kind of just sliding in right now is mm. that going to change eventually i don't know but mm. so far so good i, I think we're kind of like benefits well, that's, circumstances that's well, always so. one of the constant things that we talk about with made in utica that helps with us is that you know we're just we're gonna just go for it yeah like there's a lot of people thinking <laughs> yeah. about stuff yeah. and thinking about doing stuff but because we don't have to go through you know a huge bureau of people because we don't have to go through all this red tape you know not some company not this or that and we're not out here conducting study you know and yeah. having a bit like an being basically paralyzed by analysis, we're just going to go for it. Yep. If it doesn't work exactly what we want, we'll figure it out on the way and we'll go. Yep. But 
the ability to just jump at it and not have to, you know, tamp back is really helpful because the only way to find out is if you try. Well, this project too has a hundred thousand dollar potential or ten thousand dollars. Like we can do both. Here's the thing, though, and I'm going to use a, you know, yeah. I'm going to use a common sports analogy here. This project has a, a very high ceiling yeah. and a very like reasonable floor. Like even if this doesn't go as well as we, hand, it's not going to be like oh we, you know, it's not the yeah. RV, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's Jamal you mean, Crawford you level, mean this right? park isn't going to end up in Katie's backyard permanently. <laughs> no, it's not this, this, hey, that, oh, my God. It's going to be an RV in a container behind Katie's house for the next 10 years. No she's she's going to be so angry at us. Um, well, we went 22 minutes on just this, so we didn't get to the Doomsday Report or any of the stuff I wanted to talk about. We'll do that next segment. Uh, but let's go into this week's interview for now. Um, and I recorded this uh, two weeks ago, so I hope everything is up to date, but I think it's all time sensitive. Uh, for those folks who don't know Angela Johnson, uh, she is... One of the fine people behind the One World Flower Fest, and she is the lady behind BB Designs. Uh, she joined us for a great conversation. We touch on all these things. Uh, again, we talk a lot about Oneida Square and about using that Copernic Park. Again, yep. finding spaces in Utica that aren't actively being utilized to their full potential. Yes, this is happening yeah. already here. We're not the only <laughs> We're yeah, not yeah, the yeah, only yeah. people. Yeah. So uh, let's get into this week's interview. Angela Johnson. We'll be back to the show in just a moment. you brought me one of these uh, these flies because I did go yeah. looking so you for, can all, see. And then <laughs> for all I the brought, information. I brought like a like this is like the overall oh, the sponsor wonderful. letter like wonderful. what we're asking and, um, and then also there's so many people involved I don't want to forget like Isn't if there's this? oh my gosh there's like <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to forget somebody. Yeah. Well, I saw you on Facebook hanging out with my GFOP, Michelle Truitt, today. So yeah. you're already hanging out with her today, I saw. Oh, yeah. Michelle's, I'm with her every day. She's, yeah, she's always, she's amazing. Shout yeah. out to Michelle. She's a great, yes. she's a great friend of the show. Um, <laughs> I got to say a couple things I want to get right off the bat before we get started into the whole interview. Sure, sure. Uh, proper, if you will. Let's do Number it. Number one, I appreciate that you came to the studio uh, in this, apparently outrageous windstorm that's blasting through our windows. I didn't know what was going on. I got a call from Proctor High School because my son goes to Proctor. Yeah. And uh, all the after school activities were canceled and I'm like, what the heck's going on? Oh, and you know I was what? like, it's not snowing. It's not really raining. It's not. What is it doing outside? So I looked outside and I was like, oh my gosh, the trees mm -hmm. were like half bent over. I was like, Whoa. That is part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, as, I, as I work in the education department, I know the real reason why they are canceling all after-school activities. I don't know if I'm allowed to discuss it on the air. I'll remind okay. me afterwards to say when we're done. Okay. <laughs> but yes, I appreciate you not blowing away on your way over here. Well, uh, no problem. However, for our listeners out there, my house is built in a very poor uh, era with old windows. So if you hear rattling and shaking, it's just the wind. That's the all right. Distance. That's all right. Also, uh, Angela Johnson, thank you for coming to the show. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, I do need to apologize to you about something else as well. Um, normally, I try my best to... Uh, stay in my work clothes 
until the interviews are over. But I came home and immediately changed into sweatpants because I'm very lazy and I've spread myself <laughs> very thin this week. So please don't judge me. That's all right. <laughs> if I could have come over in pajama pants, I if I would have known, I would have worn my sweats too. I didn't. I it's, was. I didn't know, but I would have totally been with you on it. It's something I tell people. I, it's weird to you know. So you invite people to an event and it'll be like business casual or wear business casual. I can't send an invite that's like you can wear whatever you want. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's a yeah. weird thing to send to somebody. Yeah, hoodies and pajama pants. <laughs> And I have to ask you one last thing. I saw you've been all over the place on your Facebook. I was trying to catch up with you. You were over that Taste of Laos, which I have not gone to yet. It oh my gosh. Like, if you have not stepped foot in that place, like, you need to go. Not only is the food amazing, but the owner is amazing. Mm. I've known her since eighth grade, Janan Velarde. Hey, girl. Mm -hmm. See you. Um, she's started it, you know, mm. a month, a few, I don't know, maybe six months. I'm yeah. not sure how long they've really been there. Mm. Um, and she has just blossomed there, mm. like, you know, doing really well. She started cooking egg rolls out of her house. Oh, like, yeah. And doing, like, fall for, like... Family and friends. Oh, and I know. I, uh, her husband and I go. Oh, back. Nick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I went know. to Notre Dame with. Yeah. Mm. Notre Dame folks, man. Yeah. I didn't go to Notre Dame, but a lot of my friends, including uh, my podcast co-host Kevin, uh, are all Notre Dame grads, and okay. I played in bands with Notre Dame guys. So even though I went to Proctor, a lot of people assume I went to Notre Dame. Yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of roll with it. I'm like, yeah, fine, sure, but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Uh, so, Angela, you are. I guess the title is owner of BB Designs. Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. uh, and you are, what's your title for your for the One Flower? Uh, I'm the chair. The chair. So I'm running of, it. Of the One World Flower Fest, and it's yeah. an absolute pleasure to have you here. I Thank appreciate you. it because it seems like you've been all over the place talking about this lately. I have been. Well, we've really been on the PR train, <laughs> yeah. like trying to get the word out about it. I mean, this has been um, in process for obviously sure. a little while, mm -hmm. but now... We have all of our ducks more in a row than before, mm -hmm. so now we're able to talk about more details and what's going to happen and that kind of stuff. And before we get into what year is this? You I went back as far as 2015 to see, was that the first There's uh, this festival? The, this is the fourth year. The fourth year. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So the fourth year of the One World Flower Festival. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. How does it feel four years in? Is it getting easier? <laughs> well, this is my first year being okay. in fully involved. Mm -hmm. I, the person that started it, um, Paula Horgan, she's mm -hmm. sure. a Cornell... Um, the name professor, is very familiar, yeah. And she started this as an actual project for her students, mm -hmm. and that's how it all kind of originated. Um, and then last year, towards the tail end, like right before Flower Fest, um, they asked me to like help out because mm -hmm. they were having some struggles with getting some stuff together. And I was like, yeah, I'll see what I could do. You know, it's like two weeks out though, yeah. so we'll see what happens. And then this year, they asked me to take it over and mm -hmm. kind of revamp it a little <laughs> bit and keep the traditional stuff that has gone well in it. And Wonderful. so we're we're taking another stab at it and uh, making it a little different. So, uh, Well, um, we're going to get into that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to get to know you a little bit, Angela. So, uh, mm -hmm. Angela, tell us, where are you from initially? Where were you born? Where were you Utica. Raised? You're born here? Yeah, St. Eve's Hospital. St. Eve's. Very yeah. nice. Very nice. Uh, and did you go to high school here? I did. So I went to Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Um, through 10th grade, and tenth then grade. I went to Whitesboro. Whitesboro. Yeah, I yep. saw Whitesboro on your Facebook page. I was yep. like, oh, Whitesboro folks. Mm -hmm. So you went to Notre Dame and Whitesboro. What can you tell me about the difference between a Utica school and a Whitesboro school? <laughs> I actually really did like Notre Dame. Mm. I, you know, we only I only moved to Whitesboro or go to mm. school there because we moved to Marcy sure. for a couple years, mm -hmm. and then we ended up moving back to Utica, but... Mm. I thought they were both good, but, like, Whitesboro, I went to BOCES half days for advertising design. Oh, very nice. So, like, I wasn't really at school that much. Sure, And it sure. was, like, my junior and senior year, so there wasn't any major classes I was taking, and it's kind of, you know, I didn't really get to know that school as much as I did Notre Dame, because I was there from 8th on to 
junior year. So your family still Whitesboro and Utica? Um, no, actually, um, I uh, my dad lives in Tampa. Oh wow! Now okay. and my brothers and mm. my the rest of my family's in Dallas and oh wow, they're all over. The yeah, world. <laughs> so they're they're I'm the the last Mohican, <laughs> you know, still being here and this is home to me. So I don't see myself Wonderful. going anywhere. Yeah, I did the other thing where I left and then came back because all my family is still here. Like mm-hmm. I was in Brooklyn for like seven-ish years and then I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna come back. It's nice to be back. Yeah. I actually. I think that people get this bad reputation when they leave to leave somewhere else and then come back here like it's some sort of like ah oh, you screwed up in New York. Yeah, you're back, back home. And I was like, I don't know, it's cheaper to live here. It is. You <laughs> go fly and do cool stuff because yeah, you can afford anymore. to live here. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I did leave though. I did leave for a small stint. I went to Sarasota, Florida. Um now mind you, I think it's somewhat important to leave Utica, even if not forever, but for a little bit of time to see what else is out there, yeah. too. I don't think it's always healthy to just never see anything else besides what's no, here. No, because then you don't know yeah. really what you're missing or what's going on and how great Utica mm. actually is because you don't really see it in comparison to anything else. This may be a loaded question. Did you enjoy your time in Florida? I did. <laughs> I did. It was great. I went to Ringling School of Art down there oh, very nice. um, mm. after I graduated from Munson mm. here. Okay. Um, I didn't want to go to Pratt in New York City. I was ready to get some sunshine, yeah. you know, and my brothers were down there mm-hmm. so it's a beautiful uh, campus but everything i've ever known is that students who go to the pratt and utica say that the smaller class sizes actually allows for a more direct uh teacher to student contact than you get at the pratt in brooklyn because it's just sprawling and massive yeah and i had a really great relationship with my teachers mm-hmm. at ringling i liked yeah. it there um but then i ended up coming back and then flipping the script and going for business and yeah you have an extensive college uh background career i was looking through your education background and it's uh, munson williams proctor institute mbcc syracuse for business mm-hmm. uh kaplan for university for business administration you're all over the place i was i was trying to figure it out you know and uh that that was my mm-hmm. path so. so let me ask you this question because I think because uh, we're going to get to the BB design stuff and that's not till 2014. Um, right. So, but you were interested in art even in college. You were studying fine arts at Munson Williams. Did you know initially that you wanted to find a way to make art part of your like lifestyle? Well, I'd always hoped so. Yeah. Um, but when I was in college, I had I had my son young at 21, yeah, so sure. that kind of changed things, mm-hmm. and I had to figure out how to take care of him. Yeah. So that's when I decided to go for business and. Mm-hmm. Big, get my big girl pants on and go get a business oriented yeah. job and I ended up in corporate sales so yeah. I, I was going to say a long time. Uh, so from 2008 to about 2014 when you start uh, BB Design you're sort of all over different like places was there some urge for you to sort of get out from not being your own boss it seems like that would be a benefit with working at the corporate level right? yeah I, I, I had a lot of higher end sales jobs and it just was, I loved the customers, I loved the relationships, mm-hmm. but I felt like something was missing and I always wanted to get back to art, but I think without that experience in the sales and the business school and all that stuff that I wouldn't know that's really where I was supposed to be, you know, like until I went through that. And the website, folks, is bbdesignsutica.com. That was 2014 you started that, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how long was that in your head, though, before it became a reality? Like, were you thinking about something even before 2014? I had always wanted to do yeah. something with art, but I actually kind of turned it off because I had such a demanding job and yeah. then a young son. Right. I was like, oh, how am I going to make this work? And then I just started painting again in, out of the third bedroom of my house, and I started posting some stuff on Facebook, and yeah. people were like, is that for sale? And I was like, sure it is. And then I was just doing it in the beginning just for 
for some extra money. And you've sort of, uh, you've spread out since then into almost, looks like you're doing the paint parties, corporate team building stuff. Did that all sort of come naturally as time went on? Yeah. Did you see a demand for Organically, that? Organically, it just kind of mm. grew. Um, <laughs> I started, you know, just with selling my own products and shoes. I did custom Converse and stuff like That's that. That's very fascinating. I saw that. <laughs> I'm very curious about that. Is that something you just sort of were into, like, at a different time and, like, I'm going to bring it back around? Or? Well, no. One of my girlfriends, she mm. actually painted them all the time. Nice. And, and I was just like, hey, okay. that's pretty cool. So, like, let me start doing that. And uh, so I started that, and people really liked them so kind of went from there mm. and then um I, I got my first studio was actually on genesee street oh, nice. um where time lab productions used to be yeah, out okay. of yeah, so yeah. i was there and i was there for a very short stint mm -hmm. and then uh moved to new hartford to the, my studio currently um just i was always curious about this uh, growing up i was sort of a musician right and mm -hmm. uh, i was even today i sort of still consider myself in the musician world even though i haven't played publicly in many years mm -hmm. um, but when I was doing my creative stuff and doing the music thing I always felt like there was a weird connection with other people in the music industry like I wanted to know and be friends with other bands but I also didn't want them to be doing better than me <laughs> right that's is natural the, competition yeah. right is, what's it like there's a lot of wonderful artists and people who do art in Utica do you have like a do you have like communities that you deal with and other artists as well or is there still well, that yeah. level of like wanting to have no no I work with a lot of people mm. so like Utica Love is yeah. my artist charity kind mm. of portion of BB Designs and oh, what I do. Okay. And um, we've done multiple pop-up art shows and wonderful. things like that. Mm. Um, and I'm all about collaboration. Mm. I work with mostly collaborating with people on almost everything that I do sure. just because it's so important. I feel like as a whole, we're such so much more strong than individually. You know, if we're all operating in mm. these like individual funnels... You know, we could just yeah. be like this huge tornado if we would just yeah. come together, you know? So. I think that's the folly of youth when you're younger. It's like, I want it, you don't see the benefit of not putting it all on yourself. Like, I was like that when I was a kid. I was like, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it all of myself because I don't want anyone else to question like what I did and what wasn't mine. But I think as you get older, you realize that the stuff that works in not only the business world, but in the creative world is that sort of coming together of multiple lines and that collaboration. Yeah, yeah. and the energy is just amazing. Yeah. When you get that many creatives in a, in, a, mm. in a space and the feeling is just mm. something unlike anything else, mm. you know, and it, it, that's what keeps me going mm. is that vibe and the, other, the people and the revitalization and making things beautiful. It's just kind of a lot of different pieces to it. Do you stay in tune with, like, the art world? Do you go looking for art? Like you go to museums and stuff outside? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I actually just went to St. Petersburg. I was visiting oh, my wonderful. family. I went nice. to the Museum of Fine Arts down there. Mm. They had a real... I'm not really a Star Wars person. Sorry, everybody. I, I don't really follow it. <laughs> but I know some me. people get, like, crazy about, like, what do you mean? And yeah. I, I'm like, oh, no, yeah, I, sorry. My brothers love it. My two older brothers love I've, I've leaned into the criticizing Star Wars a little bit because I know so many people who get so prickly about it. I'm yeah. like, I don't know. I'm more of a Star Trek man. You know what I'm saying? And they just like, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, oh, it's blasphemous. Like, no. What are they doing? Like pop art down there for it or something? Uh, no, or like they had, it was really cool. They had this whole exhibit mm -hmm. on the original clothing. Oh, that's, from, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. I was like, that's pretty cool. So we got to see like all the Princess Leia yeah, yeah. uniforms from like uniforms, dresses from mm. over the years, like from that, like you know that. Um, oh God, I'm trying I'm to like, think. It was like a bikini. Oh, thing. the yeah, the yeah, the, like, the, of the Jedi where she yeah. got the the job of the hut bikini. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they had that, and they had all the really cool hmm. modern ones with the drawings, like hmm. the original Inception of the costume. I would have, I would have been a hundred thousand percent. I'm a sucker for I don't, one of my weird fascinations in life is like movies not mm -hmm. mo not watching movies necessarily I like to watch movies but 
I like the process of movies. I had a lot of friends who were video editors growing up. So, like, watching movies with them, it would always be interesting to see the way they talk about, like, cuts and design and things like that. And stuff like, just the detail that must have had to go into something like that. Right. It's probably staggering. I had no idea. Like, oh, the yeah. pages and pages and pages oh, yeah. of drawings for, like, the monsters' costumes <laughs> and, like, things. That's the Yeah, it was real cool. So, <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised by Star Wars uh, yeah. at the museum. So, that was really cool. I have to admit, my niece, oh, sorry, my nephew's, both wanted to, my niece did not want to go. Uh, my both my nephews wanted to go see Star Wars, so I went to take him to the new one. It was pretty good. I didn't see it. It's yet. good. My I, son is like oh, really. Yeah. I could sit here and say some things to annoy all the the fanboys. It, it was fine. I yeah. enjoyed it. It's got good music. I'll give it that. I you know at the end of the day you hear the Star Wars theme song and you do get the feels a little bit. I'm like that's kind of nice. Just yeah, the, memories. It reminds me of my brothers because they loved it growing up. Jurassic so. Park's the same way. Here they Oh yeah, Park, yeah. yeah. I'm just like, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Jurassic Park. <laughs> now I'm. Yeah, I love Jurassic Park. That's cool. Um, so let's move on to uh, what we are main focus here today, because I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the Utica Love pop-up show as well. But it makes sense to talk about the One World Flower Fest, the fourth year of it uh, this year. That's yes. May 12th, uh, 11 a.m. Yes. to 3 p.m., 500 Plant Street, uh, Utica, New York. I guess really you could just say the United Square, Square Arts District. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole area. And I want to I start right there, as a matter of fact, because, you know, there's a lot. I have a lot of people who come into the studio. We talk... Uh, downtown hospital we talk all the issues in the city we talk uh revitalization and a lot of the times when people talk about revitalization in the city it's always bag square downtown utica and oneida square in general sort of seems like an underutilized part of the revitalization of utica it doesn't seem like a part that a lot of people have decided to make the forefront when it comes to the revitalization and it's nice to see that you guys continue using these locations for it it seems mm-hmm. like a, an excellent decision in my opinion so yeah well, thanks, and um, <laughs> we appreciate that. Um, and that was really the whole hmm. point of the initial yeah. idea for this, was taking underutilized spaces yeah. that aren't the most attractive hmm. and building this beautiful festival mm-hmm. in this space to basically show possibility to people in the city that don't believe it's there. Yeah. You know, give them hope, see that, you know, Kaepernick Park's really cool. It is cool. You know, like, people don't even, they just drive right by it. You know, yeah. they look at Munson, the museum on yeah. the opposite side of the road, and they just kind of, like, fly by it, you know? I want to say the Levitt Amp Festival. Yeah. Yeah. was one of the first mm-hmm. times that I had talked to somebody about using that park as a as a viable location. When they brought it up, I was like, it makes total sense. I drive by it all the time. I don't think I ever see anybody using it. And it's right. A, it's a really, like, nice, like, very quiet, secluded place. Yeah, and, and like, nobody, yeah. it's, it's mm. nobody really uses it. And that's where we're going to have a big marketplace there. Mm. So uh, that space Wonderful. will be used. You guys are doing kids' art activities, live music, beautiful uh, uh, food specials. You did a chalk art competition, which I am, uh, that's mean to that. Sure. I'm very excited about that. I actually, when I was in St. Pete for that same trip, they oh, in, yeah. um, or I'm sorry, Safety Harbor, mm. I was all over that general vicinity. Yeah. They had a char- chalk art mm. contest there when I was there, and it was awesome. They had artists from like California, mm. all over the place, um, drawing, and it was just out of this world. And I would love to be able to replicate something like that here. When I was doing my research for this, uh, I went all the way back to 2015, where uh, GFOP from Maiden Utica, Kate Riley, who I'm very close friends with, mm-hmm. um, was talking about how she went to this in 2015 by herself and did uh, sort of the historic neighborhood walk that you guys do. And the said Jane she, Jacobs walk. Yeah, yeah, she said she that was something that she absolutely fell in love with. She loved that. And you guys are doing that again this year? Yes. So the mm. Jane ja- Jacobs walk is the historical walk of mm. Oneida o- 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 Square District. And Jane Jacobs is actually a national walk that a lot of different locations do, and um, we'll be doing that. Gina Murtaugh, mm. um, which is a local, a lot of 
people know our local sure. artist. Yeah. Um, and she'll be heading that up Beautiful. and Joe Caruso. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So they'll be uh, heading that up and um, taking you through. And there's going to be a little um, mm. uh, printout with every, all the stops that they're going to make and all that. So. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then uh, afterwards, immediately afterwards, you guys are transitioning uh, at 3 p.m. to Tiny's for the Utica Love pop-up art show. Can you talk a little bit about that at all? Yes. Yeah, so um, the pop-up show is kind of what Utica Love's known for. We kind of pop up in general, mm-hmm. random locations. I love the idea of pop-up shops. That was when I was living in New York. It was such a it was such a nice uh, a nice way to market something in an interesting, singular way that you you don't. You don't see it a lot in non-urban locations, so I'm happy to see you guys doing the pop-up shop style down here. Yeah, yeah. and JoJo from Tiny is is, yeah. has, is such a resource. Mm. She's been here forever. She's yeah, been involved with true. so many cool things, and I feel like sometimes, you know, with all the new things that are coming in, like the traditional historical people oh, that yeah. have been here get lost, you mm. know? So, um, and in past, like the, the, even the flower fest has focused on Oneida square, like yeah. where you genuinely feel like the mm-hmm. little circle and all of that. Right. But then like the tram in, um, tinies gets kind of pushed off a little bit. So yeah. Uh, and it's so, a shame too. Yeah. So we wanted to really wrap it all mm-hmm. up in a bow this year and bring people further out to tinies and to the tram. Mm-hmm. And, um, she was, more than happy to oblige and allow us to come and kind of like do the Utica Love takeover in there and hang Wonderful. work and all that stuff. So you can expect to see um, different types of artwork. Mm-hmm. We'll have photography, um, drawing, painting, um, all those things. So mm-hmm. it, I don't know about how much sculpture because the space is kind of limited in there, but we'll see what we can come up with depending on all the cool artists that end up uh, being a part of it. and. Mm-hmm. And I think brilliantly, this is also Mother's Day weekend, so for all our listeners out there, if you're looking for something fun to do with mom, Mother's Day weekend, uh, Mm -hmm. this is it. Hi, mom. Yes. (laughs) Mom will be impressed by you if you bring her to this. (laughs) I I don't know. She's my mom is hard to impress. She's a tough one to impress. It's fun. It's better, you know, because like a lot of people Um, go out to dinner and all of that jazz, um, but, uh, which is great, and you want to honor mom, but we're also going to have Mm. like that... If you want to shop, there's going to be all these handmade crafts and art and, you know, take her to an art show. You can go, there's going to be all these um, different specials mm. at like Mikasa and like if you want to take her out for like a delicious dinner. Well, there's... Can I say that, I just want to make a point. Yeah. Mikasa might be one of the most underappreciated restaurants in the whole city. I know. Maiden Utica's Justin Parkinson has been going to bat for Mikasa for like I, he loves it. He goes there all the time. He's it's so good. so good. Oh Michelle God. is the first one that took oh, yeah. me there. Oh, yeah. She's and, good I, like that, and I was like, oh, hey, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, give give mom something a little different for dinner, you know, bring her to Mikasa or uh, one of the, you know, the tram mm-hmm. is going to have specialty teas and all this good stuff there. Mm-hmm. And then Joanne's going to have some specials during the art show, too, like cheese boards and wines and desserts mm-hmm. and things like that mm-hmm. during the show. So that should be really cool. Now, uh, you have lists of here for 2018 sponsorships. You guys are still accepting sponsors. We are, yes, um, we are. Now, there's a lot for here to go over with, and I I don't know if I should necessarily You, you don't have to really thing. go through that. Uh, I just but where can people to... go uh, if they want to get more information about how they can be involved, uh, mm-hmm. what they can do to be a part of this uh, One World Flower Festival 2018? Absolutely. So sponsorships, volunteers, creative people, if you want mm-hmm. to just be involved with this, we have so many opportunities for people to be involved, uh, especially art-related opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to the Facebook page, One World Flower Fest, mm-hmm. and there's an event on there. Um, and then also there's One World Flower Fest 
com, where you can go and check out everything. Um, and I'm Angela Johnson, as you know, so you could always hit me up on Facebook. So really Facebook and the website are the places to go for that, um, to find us. And if you are an artist that's interested in getting involved, there's a Google form just to fill out on the um facebook page in the about section mm. so if you want to be a vendor or uh, do live paintings we're going to have actually artist painting different oh, like uh, acrylic painting oil painting we have air cleveland coming with the spray mm. cans oh, doing I spray paint and then the chart we still have room in the chalk art contest um mm. and then also the pop-up art so we still have some spots left mm. for almost everything so I'm looking at this planning committee of uh, heavy hitters you got in here. I, I swear to God, I think half your committee has been on the podcast before. Derek Crossman, Jerry D, Michelle, Caroline. You got some real, some real great folks working we here have, for you. We have, I call it the dream team. Oh, like yeah. they, they, and it's it's expanded since then. Oh, yeah, like, uh, we have so many great people that are involved this year. Mm-hmm. I just really feel like it's going to be unbelievable. So. Uh, Angela, I want to thank you very much. And again, folks, go uh, sponsor, be a part of the One World Flower Fest 2018. That's May 12th, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, Oneida Square. It's going to be great. And then, of course, the Utica Love pop-up art show from 3 p.m. till... Like 7. I was going to say question mark. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just want to put this in there, too. The Tram's going to have uh, the Utica Poet Society reading that. live poetry from yeah. 5 to 8 p.m. So if you go to the art show, you get done with that. Mm. You could head over to the Tram before 8 p.m. and hear some live poetry and check out the Tram. It's always a cool place to hang out. I was just there like two weeks ago with my friend Jeannie getting coffee. and I, I It's such a... I grew up in the era when I was playing in punk bands, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I've said this so many times in the show, and my listeners are probably sick of hearing it, but when I was 14, 15, 16, you know, Robin owned the one of the Bag Square buildings before Bag Square was anything, a place called Virgo Pat and Leo, Leo Fry's Coffee yep. House. And again, mm-hmm. much like the Plant Street Cafe, which was in the basement of that church in Oneida Square, there were not many venues that were allowing people like me, young original musicians, to have places to play. And Robin was one of the very first people to support that and continues to support local music to this day. She'll never come on the pod. She's very nervous. She refuses to come talk about herself. She mm-hmm. refuses to let me praise her. But the tram doesn't get enough play, and they don't get enough respect for everything that she and that staff has done. Sorry, I agree. My rant. <laughs> I agree, and that's why we, everybody go to the tram. Uh, Angela, before I let you go, though, I have a few uh, questions here to end up with, some lightning round questions, if you don't mind. Sure, let's do it. Uh, and first off, uh, I'm going to ask you this. I ask this to all uh, my guests who are parents. You are a parent. You are a parent. I am in the modern digital world. What is your biggest concern raising children in the digital world we oh, live in today? Oh God, I would have to say the face-to-face communication <laughs> is very scary for me. Um, my son, I try to really talk to him about you know looking at people in the eyes, not being on the phone at dinner, you know, like having a conversation and not having his face in technology. Like at our house, like that does not happen. Yeah. Um, but being an outside sales background. All my everything in my life was face to face conversation, yeah. so like I can talk, look at people and I'm fine, you know. It's whereas a it's a generational concern, and what scares me with my kids, even in like the school I work at, my middle school kids, mm-hmm. I was like, you're gonna have to go do a job interview someday and have to talk to somebody about why you should get hired for this job, and you're all gonna sit there with your thumbs up your butt and be like, uh, yeah, I'm good at Fortnite. I'm like, that's not a good enough reason for me to give <laughs> you a I job. Can I send you an email? Yeah. <laughs> All the yeah, reasons why all, you should hire me. Yeah, these are all the, yeah, the BuzzFeed's top 24 reasons why you should hire me. That's what I'm... You're right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. It's tough, and I, I, I feel it's... The kids at my school give me enough reason to be glad that I don't have any kids of my own. 
So right. I respect that you uh, that you're doing the thing. Good for you. Got to <laughs> got to keep the old school values. Mm. And last but not least, it is time for the lightning round questions. These are the same six questions or so we ask everybody who's been on the last hundred or so episodes. Okay. Um, so Angela Johnson, uh, this is the very first one. When you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Cream and sugar. Cream and sugar. Have you ever attempted to do black coffee? This is a debate we've been having over the years. I have, mm. and it's it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, last all black week. coffee drinkers, but I can't do it. Uh, last I can't week, do it. When uh, when last week's uh, interview was here, the um, uh, the Uptown Theater people, <laughs> they, I ran out of creamer and I was drinking like black coffee and I was like cringing my way through. The I couldn't do I'm it. So sorry. I'm so sorry. I needed the coffee, but it was. It my great. family drank the espresso too growing up, with, like, and mm. I just couldn't do it. You know, it's my family's Middle Eastern on the one side, and the Middle Eastern side they do that uh, that Turkish coffee that's like oh, in yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the pot, and even that's like that's it's heavy stuff. Right. And you bouncing off the walls. Uh, what was your first automobile? An 1988 Camaro. Yes, I love it. Not an Iraq. Not an Iraq. Okay. But I saved fifteen hundred dollars and bought that from my uncle. It was white and it had a Snoopy bobblehead. That's amazing. On the top. You may or may not have taken your 1988 Camaro to go see it, but what was your first live music event? Janet Jackson. No, really? In Florida. Ooh, mm-hmm. I love it. That must have been amazing. I was nine. It's okay. This is gonna sound terrible. She's still. Alive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Does she just not... She doesn't do anything. Doesn't do anything anymore. She just spends her money, probably. (laughs) She's probably... I mean, she's got tons and tons of money. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't... I I think she might be still doing stuff. I mean, maybe she's behind the scenes now. I don't know. I haven't really heard anything about her, but (laughs) that was... Concert was something I will never forget. Because, like, I feel like for a certain subset of, like... you know, I feel like you're right in my same sort of age range in terms of growing up with pop culture stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. Jan Jackson was on another level. And then it just seems like... just. No, I haven't heard anything about her. So mm-hmm. I, that's why I felt bad asking. I was like, I hope nothing happened to her. I hope she's uh, all right. No, as far as I know, <laughs> she's all right. Uh, staying in line uh, with that, give me one book, album, movie, or show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Okay, book I just finished was How to Be a Badass with Money. Mm, interesting. So, um, you know, that's always the challenge, right? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. So, you know, I just, I, I found it really a great read. It's not so much about the paper as it is about mm-hmm. exchange of energy yeah. and a lot of different things. I'm big into self-growth and mm. the greater good and the universe. So um, it was a very interesting read. Mm. Check it out, guys. Uh, this is a question that stumps people. So if you want a minute on this one, I can always come back to it. Uh, if you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your family, who would it be and why? The not your family throws people off all the time. Okay. Oh, God. Um, dinner. Okay. Drink, someone will I got one. <laughs> um, so... I probably should think this longer, but um, I have a favorite painter. Oh, really? Caravaggio. Caravaggio. I know that name. Yeah, so he was a Renaissance painter, and he was like the rebel badass. Uh, you know, like the okay. person that like went against the grain and was like <laughs> painting these dark, bloody, cool. Yeah, yeah. Like he was, he was the king of chiaroscuro, like mm-hmm. a light and dark Wonderful. and shading. Yeah, yeah. And I just would love to like see his process, mm-hmm. talk to him about what he oh, does, yeah. and like like get it. You know, so that would be cool. When I was in um, college, I was in Mohawk Valley, and I was dating a girl, and I was I was into her for sure, and she was a, an, an art an art person, and I had to take an elective, so I took <laughs> way to go <laughs> like Western art. Like I learned a lot yeah. about like art and stuff, and uh, 
over the years, I've sort of, like, tried, I still appreciate most of it, but I remember just being, like, picking, I'm like, yeah, Degas, that's my guy. <laughs> Whoever that is. Yeah, sure. Ballerinas. <laughs> yeah, ballerinas, it's fine. Yeah, Degas, I love it. It's my dude. Uh, that's but, awesome. But yeah, and it's funny, because then going to New York, and you go to, like, the Museum of Modern Art and all that kind of stuff, and that's a whole other thing. Like, I love to go to, I went to the Guggenheim many times as I was down there. I love mm-hmm. the Guggenheim. Very cool. I loved, uh, what's the big giant one, the Metropolitan Museum, Museum of Art? Museum of Art, MoMA, yeah. Well, MoMA, well, the modern, the Museum of Modern Art at MoMA is, it, I don't know how I feel sometimes about modern art. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm yeah, not, I'm not knocking okay. on it. It's okay. Like, like it's I not remember, for everybody. I remember right? going in and it was like, it was cool. It was just a giant, like, plastic army man. That was it. I'm like, okay, I get, yeah, I, I guess it's, yeah. it's all right. Sure. Yeah, it could go really, I mean, that's the thing hmm. about art. You know, you can hate it, love it, <laughs> be numb with it, whatever, you know? Um. Very good dinner, and I guess last but not least, besides art, besides uh, being a part of community, besides helping an eye to square, uh, give me one more thing that you, Angela Johnson, are passionate about. Uh, other than family, art, um, I love the outdoors. Oh, very nice. Very I nice. love, I actually want to become a 46er. Mm, what's that? Uh, How about that? Okay, so the Adirondack, there's 46 huh. high peaks. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. I've hiked six of them so mm. far, and mm. I only got 40 to go. So, nice. Um, is, that like an, is that like an official badge you can get? Yeah. Really? You get oh like my a, God, you really? Get a, so you have to document, <laughs> you have to document wow. your, your hikes. Huh. And then most people I even take pictures because there's like the little when you get to the top of right this time. Yeah, the top <laughs> the top of the mountain, you take a picture of um the like little metal thing that's in the mountain. I forgot what they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it like tells you like this is the top oh. of the mountain, you you reached it and you have to document it and sign in on the mountain, sign out on the mountain. This seems like something that my co host Heather is probably in. Heather probably Oh knows. my gosh, she's probably yeah. done all right, I'm gonna have to talk to her about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um it's definitely something most people uh, Adirondack people mm, know about. Wonderful. Um and it, it's a really cool goal. So um I would love to do that. Uh, again, folks, May 12th, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., uh, Oneida Square, the One World Flower Fest. Also, you can go to bbdesignsutica.com anytime to see Angela Johnson, uh, her work, her business. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure. Well, Hope thank you. you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon, uh, folks. We'll be back to the show in just a moment. again thank you once again angela johnson uh one world flower fest bb designs great time uh great conversationalist thanks for coming on appreciate it uh justin you're still here yes <laughs> you're excited for monday night raw after this so you're just hanging around yeah till superstar then. shake up they call it oh it's all the superstars <laughs> shaking them up putting them in a giant container and shaking them around hey, we were just incredible we were just talking about it before we turned the microphones on and it got me thinking uh a friend of ours we we're just saying is gonna go see 311 a bunch of times they're coming around here and he's you know what's gonna... multiple friends of ours don't multiple, multiple friends. this one particular well it, it here, serves yeah. it serves the purpose of the conversation <laughs> Uh, he's going to see 311 around here, and he's, he goes to see them all the time. 
Right. He now, loves going to see 311. Loves to go see him. And I'm not begrudging him. I've just never been the kind of guy who tends to go see a band more than once. Right. And not that I wouldn't. I just haven't. I haven't really had an opportunity to see a band that I've seen once. Where I'm like, I'm going to go see him again. Right. Is there any bands that you can think of that you would follow to more than, let's say, let's call it more than four shows a year? I will. I think a lot of the a lot of this target of opportunity. Okay. Right? Like I've seen so for example, I've seen the band Grandno a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. They're from New York State. They tend to play Tour like lower, here. more inexpensive venues where you can get tickets for like twenty five to forty five dollars depending on points of yeah. the career. And they play around a lot and they don't play often, so when mm-hmm. they come out you go see them a bunch. Uh Radiohead is a band that I would go see ten times in a year. If I could if afford they it and they yeah. played more than like twenty shows a year and tickets weren't like four hundred bucks. Yeah, turquoise. So yeah, there's turquoise yeah. all the time. I've probably seen turquoise like ten times in eighteen I like months seeing, or something. I love to like see that. bands yeah. multiple times yeah. if they're a band who like mm. plays a set and isn't just like yeah. these are and the ten songs we play. We're gonna play just these thing. ten. I've seen them at so in that run though is like they were at a festival. So did I go to the festival just to see them? No, but I got but they were there a two a set of them and then a cover set where they did like the Parliament or something. So like mm. those are two times that you saw them. They were just there. Then yeah. they're at Ray's Brothers like shortly after. Then they're in Ithaca. Mm-hmm. Then they're in Syracuse. Then they're back towards Ray's Brothers. Like so, they get around. So they're around, yeah. 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 So like, but I would go to Ithaca. I'd go all the way down to Pennsylvania. I'd go all the way well to Syracuse. But I go. I travel for them. I'm in the Saratoga Springs uh, mm-hmm. for them too. So like, mm-hmm. it's fair travel. No, I think it's interesting to as we're sitting here thinking about it. There is one band that I've accidentally seen a couple times in different locations. I've seen TV on the radio three times in my life at three different places. Once in mm-hmm. Chicago. Once in Saratoga when they opened up for that show, and then once in New York, and it's just it was like, three eleven that they opened up for. It was three eleven. That's right. <laughs> they opened up for three eleven. I it forgot all comes about full that. Circle. All comes. So I guess yeah. I guess really the opportunity is really the key, right? Like if if Radiohead toured as often as three eleven, and they came around a little more excessively, uh, I wouldn't know that three eleven toured this much they if do. there wasn't for there, like seven people in this town who religiously loved them. I don't. It's, it's mostly it's mostly just Stephen Colenza. <laughs> um, no, no. I have a thing, though. I think that the style of music that 311 plays, they play in that sort of similar vein as, like, jam bands where it's part of the 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 aura of the band is that they are always sort of around and touring. Is that not part of it? Am I wrong? That's a... Well, I, I don't... I think those are two separate things, the idea of they play music that's, like, jam band adjacent and the fact that they're always around. I think one of the reasons they're able to go out every year like that is like any other band you see who does it, you've been around for a long enough time and you have enough albums that you can go out and constantly change up set lists. It's even mm-hmm. like the people who go out and see like the Dave Matthews Band every summer when they go out. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Pearl Jam is another great example where they go out all the time, they play a ton of shows, but they've got so many albums that they'll go play for two and a half hours every night and play a different set every night. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to get to be that kind of band before you can be, be gonna, at the point where people are going to go see you multiple get times. those type of bands anymore? Do you, do you think mean? as much like... Because um, you just said Pearl, Pearl Jam and some other, you know, even 311. 311 today, if they came out, the way that music's released and distributed and, and all those things are done, are they... Because these are... You're kind of mentioning band 90s, right? Like that fringe of CD touring everything that ties around album mm-hmm. and how bands go forward now, are we going to have a ton of people that put out... Because not that they don't put out tons of albums. Is it just more carefully and spread out done? Like, not everyone's putting an album out a year, per se. Like these top You don't have to put out an album anymore. Well, that's what I mean. I mean so when you get into a touring schedule, so Taylor Swift's a bad example, but these people later on in life who could just do the gamut of just doing their old stuff, are we going to have as many of those as we've had in the past because of the lack of albums being out there to be supported? No, because I th- you have the same amount because artists... 
Okay, so Taylor Swift's actually a good example, right? Because for Taylor Swift, so Taylor Swift has a new album that comes out, yeah. right? Reputation, whatever this last album, right? The one with the the, the, what, the pop, the one I don't like. Um, you're pretending like you don't know what it is. We got it. I know the album. I don't <laughs> like the song. There's a specific type, like uh, the one that everyone... Is, so a new album. Whatever, yeah, anyway. <laughs> she's coming out, right? When she's playing that tour, right? Yeah. They schedule a tour after that so she can promote this yeah, album yeah, yeah. with those hits, right? Yeah. That is an old school method, but that still obviously works. She's still pulling in tons she's and tons of, of people. She's one of the doing it right now. Though, I she's one of the no, few, that's, no, that's what everybody does. Yeah, well, yeah, if she... Uh, not, I guess that's, that's not what I mean is that people aren't still doing that. It's just because album isn't supported the way that it was on a touring schedule as much anymore. I feel like it's much different you can the way tour, you go out about In today's it. age, you can tour without a new album. You can tour on the songs on you YouTube have. And you're more better off loading, uh, literally uploading things to YouTube. You know what I mean? Like, sure, you will tour to support that, but it, you're not making, like, it, hits, it right? Might, like, no, no. Masterpieces? That's, that's, that's we're in like a single system. I think that's off. I see what you're talking about, and we're definitely, there's a lot more singles and stuff that come out, but when you still look at, like, the top... So you look at the top, like, 25, 30, you know, artists that come out, they put something out every year. There's still tons of albums yeah. that come out. I think what's happened is the form of music has changed a little bit. Um, I think the albums that you'll see people supporting and be able to go out on tour with forever are just going to be a different kind of thing, mm -hmm. whether or not, like, these classic bands. But I think that people still put it out, and they put out tours behind their albums. But to get to the point where people are going to see you multiple times in the same year, you can just go out on tour without a new album. You have to have... An established set yeah. of you know the thing. Right. You have well, to be a good live band too, and that's like, what I mean. Change up your show. The middle acts, right? Like because what we do now. So when you produce an album, <clears throat> I mean, part of the money you were getting to produce that album was rolling into a tour, right? Like someone like Grizz self produces an album and mm -hmm. kind of does it and releases it to pay what you want for it. Mm -hmm. The money's not coming in to support a tour, right? Like so they're doing a lot of supplemental, maybe two or three stops where you could get a Syracuse and a Buffalo and a Rochester just because it was easy, right? Like, mm. you make most of your, like a run. You make most of your money as a touring band on merchandise, not necessarily on what you make at venues. Well, and you make most right. of your money touring as a whole. Like, bands traditionally don't really make a ton of money off the records yeah. directly. Right. Yeah. But that supplements all the other stuff, though, right? Like, by releasing it semi-fairly. Like, Grizz isn't making an album all that often. It's every couple of years, and if he does make one, mm. um, it'll be like EP, right? Is that the mini? Well, like I think four songs when, or something. Yeah, when you not get, full bodies of work. When you get out into, I think that's something that happens when you get out into the more um, electronic-minded artists and the people who more just like one person or a team of two people. He has like a full, full band. He doesn't do like, uh, I, he's kind of a bad bad example, but like he's a full on, he produces every single sound because the Spotify is a big problem. You mm -hmm. can't sample a lot right. of DJ. So yeah. he produces, his last album, he produced from the horns to the, oh, yeah. uh, the analog sounds. Everything was his. That way he can be like, can't sue me. I made mm -hmm. every single sound, but he can't do that. But he that's what produced and funded the whole thing. But that's what I'm saying, because he's one guy, so for the process for recording an album, mm -hmm. when you're the one guy, it makes it more conducive to be like, oh, well, I finished these two songs, so I'm just going to drop mm -hmm. them. It doesn't make sense to work like that when you're a band, and it yeah. makes more sense to put out a batch of songs at a time, just by the nature of the way that most people write and record when yeah. they're working with like and band think based even music. the guy like him, he's starting to realize that too. So he brought like a band in, and they sat there for the week and recorded a bunch of their songs and all their samples, and he went back, back and, and mixed and mastered it, but like... It's weird because when when this I use Grizz just in specific and people probably don't even know who I'm talking about because I've seen him quite a bit and would go places to see him. Sure. I don't know if a guy like him exists in a few more years now. He's kind of an in the moment guy. Will he he might transcend it because he's a very unique to his craft, mm -hmm. but people like him. 
will probably not be this longevity type of thing where, like, I'm not going to Grizz like Steve is 311 10 years from now. I don't know if that's happening. Uh, I don't know. I think... All right, look at a band like Daft Punk. And I, we've gotten way off conversation. <laughs> but, like, look at a band like Daft Punk, right? I always think about this. Um, so Daft Punk sort of... I, I, again, I'm, I'm talking generalities here. They were probably the most popular EDM act when those first couple albums came out, right? The ones that had, like, Robot Rock and um, Primetime of Your Life. Yeah. It was, like, hits, right? And then for a while, it didn't seem like they put out any new music. And in that space of time between them weren't putting out new music and when Random Access Memories came out, which is the popular. one that that style of music became more popular. So when Daft Punk's Random Access Memories come out and people say, oh, like, I can't wait for the Daft Punk guys to come back and show these dudes what EDM yeah, is yeah, all yeah. about, what they got was an album where Daft Punk said, well, everyone else is doing EDM. I don't mm-hmm. want to do this anymore. Let's show them something Funk, else, yeah, right? And they, they gave funky, them... And then everybody else went funky after that. Like, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that there's a certain level, like, if you are an artist who's pigeonholed in a particular sound, at some point in time, you either have to evolve that sound or double down and just do that forever. And, and it's... Not to even go further up, but we were just saying it with Timberlake. I mean, I feel like this is something that comes up with us all the time, is that do you do something... You've been full as five, right? I'm 40 now. I'm just different guy i'm making different stuff or do you just stick with what works and tour to i think if you, know? you if you don't try to evolve and you try to just stick with like the one thing you're known for i think you end up being like weezer where yeah. even yeah. even when you're putting out new stuff and it might be good stuff like some yeah. of those newer weezer albums are really good if you like you know the blue album and pinkerton but like as you get older you try to make the exact same album the exact same song over and over it comes off as disingenuous and mm. people stop buying it yeah. and i think that's what happens if you don't evolve you have to evolve with the bravery to know that you might not get as many people to come with yep. you as you had with you originally yep. when you go off and change and Where's get older. Where's 311 in that, then? Okay, can I, can I jump sure. on this one? Because I think that 311 falls into a point I was just about to make. You made a comment that we kept mentioning, like, older bands, like mm. 90s bands. The reason that a band like Pearl Jam or 311 or Radiohead or Red Hot Chili Peppers or these kind of bands can continue to tour is they have so much material right. that they don't need a new album. Right. Red Hot Chili Peppers don't need a new album to right. come out. They can just go out as the Chili Peppers and people are like, oh man, I know all these yeah. dope hits, right? So I think that there's something to be said with that. That's why we ended up naming all these yeah. bands from a certain era. I just think there's more incentive today yeah. to make six or eight songs on a budget than 12 full ones to put onto a disc. And I think just mm-hmm. inevitably over time, people are stopped making full-on like not masterpieces if that but I think that's the that full a- story of, of music right so when you listen to it start to finish it's supposed to to do something I don't think music's made like that anymore we certainly live in a world where singles are more important than albums today in the the fact that people don't have patience the way that they used to for music and there's a lot of distractions now yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that people aren't making albums. It just right. means that uh, yeah, yeah. like the, the idea games, of yeah. an album that you sit down and listen to front to back isn't as marketable. Yeah. But I think you're also seeing people fight to bring that back. There's yes. always an overcorrection. Like you look at, I mean, mm-hmm. one of the hottest live tickets right now is the Childish Gambino tour mm-hmm. where he's touring after he put out Awaken My Love, which was a really, really excellent album. And it was very much like a concept, like start to finish mm-hmm almost to the point of being a concept album, so I think you'll see some people fight to be like, no, I like it this way, so I'm always going to make it this way, because there's always that overcorrection once you start to head too far to one side or the other. I mean, let's tie it into, this is real news that happened today, I don't know if you saw this, the Pulitzer Prize awards came out. (coughs) Goddamn Kendrick Lamar got a Pulitzer Prize for his album Damn. So they're giving, they just gave Kendrick Lamar a Pulitzer Prize, so it's obvious that people are still making important albums and people are recognizing it. Which is a total legacy award because if you're not going to give it to, to Pimp a Butterfly, and it seems like <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh man, we missed. So we'll give it to Dan. Dan was a very great album, though. It's another one, though. 
Kendrick Lamar is a guy who can, yeah, you know, yeah. An anomaly though of the time. He For sure. is a trend he is different than mm-hmm. everybody else, well, clearly. No, clearly. I think I think the other parallel I think before that was Kanye, where everything Kanye yeah. was putting out for a period of time was a massive success and he could tour on just the albums he has out now and people would still go see and, it. But right? even ten years from now he could people still, will be still doing go see the, it. Yeah. that same shit, yeah. All right, so that was a three eleven conversation. That's too, I think too much, and we're gonna see Steve Waiter. Oh. One thing to the side <laughs> that I think is kind of weird, that's kind of a byproduct to adapt to this change Good. in this landscape, is how many artists and now bands you're seeing taking up uh, residencies in Las Vegas. Yes, mm-hmm. both Nickelback, who is the worst, and Blink One Eighty Two, who I will ride or die for. That's <laughs> true. But like Britney is like one of those like a solo like stage mm-hmm. performer and dancer. She makes sense, but now you're seeing people like Blink One Eighty Two be like. Yeah, yeah, screw it. We're just going to do eight straight weekends in Vegas. New crowd every day. Yeah, new crowd every day. Why not? And so I think that's a place where you'll see a lot of these bands who maybe aren't big enough to be Pearl Jam and just exist on their own forever. Go back to that, like, lounge band. But can still run and play the hits and don't want to travel. I think that's something you'll see more of those bands. And you guys should do the hotel lounge tour where you just go to lounges and just play like... (laughs) We'll take the RV. Yeah, good. Uh, yours. <laughs> well, we went 13 minutes on uh, an offshoot about 311, so that's good to know. Um, this is what happens when you don't tell us the subjects. <laughs> no. Parkinson, we're just like, okay, well, we're just talking. No, it's good. I like it. We uh, talked about this with Timberlake like two weeks ago. So I know. Well, he, he's a good example. He should have just stuck to what he was doing his best oh, thing. He geez, tried to do this whole like geez. man in the woods thing, and no one cares the at all. The talent transcends anything you could even appreciate. No, oh, he's amazing. I'm not, I just don't think it's a very good album. I'm only hearing what I want to hear. All right, so <laughs> that's a surprise. <laughs> uh, so we'll blast through the history lessons real quick this week. Uh, on this day uh <laughs> ad 295 god damn it it was the eighth uh recorded passage of haley's comet um the last time we actually saw haley's comet in person was february 1986 however in that year the comet and earth were on opposite sides of the sun creating the worst viewing circumstances <laughs> for earth observers in the last 2000 years so last time 86 so if you needed any inclination yeah. that it was actually coming when they yeah. did uh, jump forward there there yeah. you go it's the, the worst, next, worst place yeah. to see it here it is the next predicted date for Halley's comet is july 28th 2061 where it is expected to be better positioned for observing than in 80, uh, 85 86 uh, as it will be on the same side of the sun as the earth uh, so if we get to 2061, we'll get a good look That's at Hale Haley's Bob, com- right? Hale, Haley's, no, Haley's. Haley's Comet. Yeah, Hale, what's Hale, Hale Bob? Bob's a different, a comet. different, comet. different okay. comet. Many comets scattered yeah. all across well, space. See, I'm thinking that Hale Bob was like in, Haley's was like the nah. thing within it or whatever. Nah. Mm. But yeah, I'm all, if there's a cult that comes with that, I'll go watch it. <laughs> 61, yeah. like in the Parks and Rec? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, on this day, 1943, in Basel, uh, Switzerland, Albert Hoffman, Swiss, uh, Swiss chemist working at the Sandoz Pharmaceutical Research Laboratory, accidentally consumed LSD-25, a synthetic drug he had created in 1938 as part of his research into medical value of uh, lysergic acid compounds. Uh, in his notes, he relates the experience, quote, Last Friday, I was forced to interrupt my work in the laboratory in the middle of the afternoon and proceed home, being affected by a remarkable restlessness combined with slight dizziness. At home, I lay down and sank into a not unpleasant, intoxicated-like in, uh, condition characterized by extremely stimulated imagination. In a dreamlike state with eyes closed, I perceived an uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures, extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscope play of colors. After some two hours, this condition faded away. Unquote. Uh, he unintentionally he intentionally took the drug again to confirm that it caused the strange physical and mental state. Uh, however, widespread use of so-called mind-expanding drugs did not begin until the 1960s when the counterculture figures Timothy Leary and Ken Kenzie published uh, expounding the benefits of LSD use as a recreational drug. I'll say this. I saw some wild stuff that happened at Bonnaroo. 
<laughs> wild things about yeah, him. And then Albert Hoffman immediately ended up following bands around all summer long. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He was just chilling at Coachella. Uh, this was just for you. I'm glad you're here because I had no takes on this. On this day, uh, 2011, Game of Thrones, the fantasy novels of George R. R. Martin, are turned into a television show and premiered on HBO. Uh, Game of Thrones has attracted record viewership on HBO, has a broad, active international fan base. It is acclaimed by critics for its acting, complex characters, story, scope, production values, although frequently being uh, criticized for its excessive use of nudity and sexual violence. Um, It has won, it has received 38 Primetime Emmy Awards, more than any other primetime scripted television series. Uh, As a guy who does not watch Game of Thrones, uh, you've you've watched all of it, have you not, Parkinson? Is it still good? Oh, yeah. Is it? It's not in that Walking Dead thing where people are just sort of hanging on just no, because. No, because there's well, there's a start and finish to it. They have an end date in mind, like, mm. right? Like this isn't just dragging on season after season. They, I think, even within last year, they announced there's only thirteen or fifteen episodes left. So there's a there's the end in sight. You can't stray mm. far, so you can and you can stick to it. And plus, I think this is a little not that the Walking Dead's not super popular, but I think there's a lot of diehards on this book too. That the the body of work. It's very tested. Like a lot of people are, like you're not fooling anybody, right? Like so, you can't just cut corners or do things that that don't yeah. fit in because you'll you'll hear about it one way or the other. So. Were you a Walking Dead guy? Uh, yeah, for a little bit. If the Walking, if you knew the Walking Dead would have had a definitive ending, would have been more, would have been more interesting. It would have been a better show. Yeah, it wouldn't. It, I th- I feel like as somebody who also you know watched the Walking Dead, I feel like it wouldn't just be oh, if I knew there was an end date, then I would like it better. It's something like that, but it's if they had an end date then everything would be cohesive and every moment on screen would, would mean something towards yeah. an end result as opposed to like, well, we got to figure something out. We're on TV for, we just got renewed for another three seasons. Better figure yeah. it out. It would just be a better show by yeah. nature. Of it's good. Well, right now, <clears throat> you're, so Game of Thrones is good. They don't waste time. They use the limited time that they have mm-hmm. very well, right? Like they're not yeah. just, they only have 15 hours of television left. There's so much into that story too that they have to cram down. So I think even just for that, you can pick the good stuff and put it into TV form because yeah. you have so much source material and you only get an hour per episode to do it. I mean, you could go three episodes without even advancing a day if you wanted to, you know? like I think that you have to... When you talk about shows that had a beginning and end, definitive beginning and end, you have to talk about Breaking Bad because I think Breaking Bad was the most popular recent show that established this idea that having a definitive and ending... That's not weird. I was up, English television does it all the time. Series... Yes. Oh, with everything they do. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. One with series one, do. series two. Well, the look Office at the, were two different right. series. Now, there's an argument to be made with The Office, though, that the British... People will say The British Office is better. I've never watched it. I, I, I probably should because I love the American yeah. one so much. But I think that the strengths of the American office were that the characters were so likable and well-contained that you didn't want to see well, them go away after here's the two flip, seasons, but right? The flip side of the way the British does the TV, though, is that that first episode of The Office was shot start to finish to end with what they ended right, with there, right. right? And when the second series came up, they picked off, but that series had a story that started and finished at the end of series two, right? It didn't necessarily mm-hmm. carry out a cliffhanger or whatever. They had to go back to the first one, get you caught up in the what was happening. It's almost like two different plots and shows but there's an ending to every single season in, in a lot of English TV that's what makes it way easier to watch because you have to finish I'm going to come up with a fake spoiler for the uh, last season of Game of Thrones you ready uh, Jon Snow is that a person Jon yeah. Snow you know damn well Jon Snow's a dragon the whole time he's been a dragon secret, secret dragon wear dragon that probably wouldn't be I mean you could <laughs> almost do I usually don't get into fantasy because of that that aspect. I'm pretty Same. sure he was Can bad once you? already, and they didn't kill him. So because they could just 
Make That's alive. the thing that throws me off about you in this show is you do not strike me as the kind of guy who'd be into like Lord of the Rings, I like high fantasy, medieval stuff. I, I'm all about a kingdom with many kings and needing to slay the rest. That's you ever watch it. Vikings? Yeah, it's okay. Mm. It's fair. It's, it's, uh, I feel like Vikings is one of those shows they started making them like, oh wow, people are actually watching yeah, this. Yeah, and then the guy supposed who to be just the, recreations, then they're like, oh, people like yeah. these characters. Well, I the guess guy who's the now. star of it realized that he got so popular and left it, so the show's weird because it's like the main character is not in the fourth season anymore. It's like his son it feels like an early jump for your career. Be like, I'm getting off Vikings. The movies are gone. <laughs> Maybe give it another couple seasons. I don't know how this story ends. I'm out. <laughs> who uh? Who's the most famous person from you? Do you can they go off the top of your head? Mark Lemke. Mark Lemke. It's a good call. Whites, bro. What's his um, Dave Cash, maybe? <laughs> Man. Stephen Brill. Cello. Stephen Brill. Yeah. What do you know about George Burrell Wooden? Ooh, Mr. Wrestling, you mean? Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, the forgotten Utica celebrity. I looked this up last week because I was asking, and I didn't know that this was part of the thing. Uh, we had a professional wrestling legend who was born in Utica, New York, in July 28, 1934. Uh, Wooden, who went by the wrestling name Tim Wooden, uh, also went by the name Mr. Wrestling, which is what he became famous for. In fact, in wrestling, there were multiple Mr. Wrestlings after Tim Wood. And more popular ones, too, which is weird. Well, there's a reason for that. Um, <laughs> and it's a and it's kind of a sad reason, actually. Um, Wooden was involved in the same 1975 plane crash that uh, involved Ric Flair, Johnny oh, wow. Valentine, uh, Bob Ruger's, uh, Davy Crockett. Um, so he actually never came back to wrestling really after that plane crash. It kind of ruined his career. Uh, and as a matter of fact, this is the part that's really fascinating to me. Okay. You got to remember that Wooden, as Mr. Wrestling, was a face. He was a good guy. Yes. And everyone else on the plane in that era, 1975, was a bad guy. This, this is the is era... why you never hear of it, probably. This is the era of kayfabe. Since Wooden wrestled under the name Tim Woods, a newspaper article in the Charlotte Observer listed his name as the real name, George Burrell Wooden, and mentioned that he was a promoter. Wooden was the only fan-favorite wrestler on the plane, while the rest were villains. And this was back in the day when kayfabe was not broken. Uh, he was at the time Even feuding... Even in a blade crash, he, well, he was at stuck the, to the storyline. At the time, <laughs> he was feuding with Ric Flair and Valentine, who were both in the plane with him. Uh, unwilling, he was up there to beat him up. <laughs> uh, however, rumors began circulating that Wood was, in fact, on the plane. Unwilling to risk the exposure of professional wrestling, he got back in the ring two weeks after the crash and was obviously in extreme pain. Ric Flair later said in his book to be the man, quote, more than just Mr. Wrestling that day, he was the man who saved wrestling, unquote. That's from the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Wow. Tim Woods, Utica's forgotten celebrity, Mr. Wrestling. Look him up. Timmy Woods. Tim Not Woods. to be confused with Mr. Wrestling 2, 3, 4, 5. No, <laughs> there no. Are a bunch of them Mr. Wrestling 2 was the more popular. Which is brilliant, by the way. Is this Mr. Wrestling can't go? Mr. Wrestling 2 jumps in. Well, that, <laughs> that was something they did a lot of time back in the era of, like, the 70s. You'd get, like, some old wrestler from the 50s who was, like, out of shape, but was, like, you know, a guy who used to be a name. They're like, well, we can't put you out here as gorgeous Johnny Sweet because <laughs> you were 75 pounds heavier than you were and you look out of shape and fat, but we can put you in a mask and call you the Super Destroyer. And you're like, fine, that sounds great. Um, so I'm just going to blast through the rest of this. We've already gone way too far. Uh, 206 million eggs recalled over salmonella fears, including in New York. So if you have eggs in your fridge, guys, from uh, Coburn Farms, Country Daybrook, the Food Lion store brand, Crystal Farms, Great Value, or Sunshine Farms, Destroy your eggs. Get rid of them. Throw Salmonella. them off the roof. Throw them off the roof. Um, ah, man, I guess I'll have to say... I was going to talk about the striking teachers. Um, I'll just say this. Give these teachers their money. They deserve it. Pay the teachers. Pay the teachers. Um, I won't get any farther than that. 
Uh, I'm not even going to pretend to talk about the Syria thing. That's a way longer conversation than we have to get into. Uh, do you guys have any takes about this Simpsons story that's been going around over the last few weeks about whether there's a problem with Apu as a character? Yeah, it's just a slow news cycle. Yeah. Just a thing that was drummed up. Like it was. I mean, I get what they're saying, and everybody on each side has got their point, but it seems like one of those things they've reached back to just pull out to be like, ah, we got to have something to mix it up with on the blogs. How many Simpsons episodes are uncomfortable? How many Friends episodes are uncomfortable? Sure, sure. Like, come on, I guess, man. You well, know me on my take anyways, how soft everybody is. This God, is... Forget it. This is a interesting one for me, because growing up, I have to say that outside of, like... Like Seinfeld, so my parents watched it, and like Mystery Science Theater that me and my stepdad used to watch. Like Simpsons was one of the like the five most important mm-hmm. television shows I ever watched. I would come home from school and like it was watch a syndication. It during, yeah, it was that a syndication. Yeah, it was or whatever. It yeah. was a big show in terms of like me as a human, like loving comedy mm-hmm. and like cartoons and like satire and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I never saw the character of Apu when watching it as like racially insensitive now i think that a lot of it is when you're a kid you don't think about it in those terms right like it's stereotypical not racial well because if you look at the simpsons like there's groundskeeper willie there's like bumblebee man there's like those uh the italian mob bosses there's a lot of common cultural stereotypes as are there in wrestling right right i think the issue was at the time there were not a lot of characterizations of south asian like people Mm -hmm. on television at times so you know, a lot of these comes from a 2017 documentary called The Problem with Apu that this comedian... So, uh, <laughs> well, it's this comedian, and he talks about, like, growing up... this project? He did. <laughs> well, he talks about, like, growing up loving the show but never mm-hmm. being able to shake it as an, an Indian growing up that, like, this is that the interpretation that this well, show... That's, that's what he was... That, and that's the whole thing. He's not saying they shouldn't do this character, this character's wrong, yeah. take it off. That's not anything that anybody who's actually in the conversation is saying... But he just sort of talks about, like, yeah, you know, as an Indian guy growing up, like, that's all I heard was, you know, thank you, come again, and, like, all that, oh, shouldn't you be at the 7-Eleven, and yeah. that kind of stuff, and it was used as a bludgeon, and his whole documentary is about, I've always loved this show, but it's weird, because this one aspect of it has been used to, like, you know, bludgeon me with, and sort of reconciling both of them, like, hey, I like this show, but I wish this was different, or whatever, that's all. And I think mm-hmm. the biggest issue, really, more than anything else, was that the Simpsons handled this incredibly poorly. Like, I don't know if you guys read about what they did for the episode. Basically, they laughed it off and sort of gave them the middle finger, like, gave them a sly meta comment, like, something that used to be politically correct is now considered offensive. Like, some things you can't do anything about. And then, but they used Lisa, Right, Lisa was the character on the show to deliver this message about political correctness. Lisa Simpson, the character who went vegetarian in the 90s in yeah. an episode where she was protesting meat. Uh, Lisa Simpson, who like w- had a, spent a whole episode talking about the way that Barbies or Malibu Stacy like... Right, it, it, and, well, this is a testament, the, though, is that if the character Lisa's okay with it, you should be okay I think with that's it. the problem, though. Like, they assumed that that was the case, and what it did is make people go, wait, you just sold out, like, the character that you spent 25, 30 years making the moral center of your show, right? It, it's only because they chose this particular character. Any other character, you would have been like, okay, if Homer says it, it's like, well, obviously Homer's an idiot, right? But you took the character that people consider the social justice character and used it to sort of crap on somebody talking about something. at that point, you're so far, like, just digging for response. You know what I mean? I don't think they had to respond at all. It seemed like a... You didn't even have to respond. No one knew they were going to respond to it, right? I don't know. know. It's just weird. All right, and uh, and that's that for The Simpsons. We'll move on. Um, Oh, there was one thing I wanted to say. Um, I've been on a big, huge Stephen King 
uh, kick over the last couple days. I got into this podcast I've been listening to called Losers Club. I don't like to support the podcast on here, but we're not doing any Stephen King-based shows in the future. So if you want, which to listen, is a mistake, which is a mistake. Um, but I did find out today uh, that next year, on April nineteenth, twenty nineteen, they will be releasing the new updated version of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. They're remaking the movie. It was signed out a couple days ago. Uh, one of my favorite Stephen King books. We got in a conversation about it this week. I created a list of my top Stephen King books. I'm going to share it with you guys. Number five, Misery. Number four, Pet Cemetery. Number three, It. Number two, Salem's Lot. Number one, The Stand. I love Stephen King. Uh, Kev, one of the things they were talking about in the podcast I was listening to is if you are not a Stephen King reader, yes. what book would you ask, would you give people as a beginning book to jump into Stephen King's library? I'd give people Pet Cemetery. Really? Yeah. Mm. Get all the way in. I mean, <laughs> the deepest. It depends. Look, at, I I've read I've read a ton of Stephen King books ever since I was a little kid. Right, I've probably read like twenty of his books from mm. like short stories, different stuff like that. Um, my favorite book of his is got to be It. That's why I was so yeah. stoked when they made the movie um, and did a good job with it. But It is like twelve hundred pages. Now, if I'm giving it to somebody, like I gave it to like my sister, yeah, for example, because I knew that she was gonna, you know, I knew that she would be into it and like tear it off, but I wouldn't just hand it to a random person who's like, oh, I like to read sometimes because mm. it's too daunting. Uh, Pet Cemetery, I feel like, announces itself and, and it sort of hits all the points. And if it's mm. too much, I, I don't think it's too much. Like it's a scary book, but it's not like over the top. It's definitely for, in my opinion. It's very dark, even for a Stephen King book. It's much more. I take for granted sometimes too that uh, people have a to some people have right, varying right. degrees of sensitivity to like, the darkness that exists. I do, th- yeah, I do think that if I was going to tell some, my first Stephen King book was Salem's Lot. My first real like sat down, bought it, and mm-hmm. like I that fell would be in a love. good one to start. And I think that I would say that one because it sort of touch. It's it has the vampire trope, but sort of like turns it on its head a little bit and does its own thing with it. Because I would make an argument for misery, but I feel like it's important if you're having a first one to kick it off with that you want a little bit of supernatural in there. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, it. Yeah. All right. That's do you ever exactly read Stephen King books? No. Do you not like horror? At all? Um, no, no, not and uh, no. What's your, if I say Stephen King as a non-Stephen King person, what's the first thing you think of, Justin? Um, that he did a bunch of those short stories that allowed people to make movies on their own accord. The Dollar Babies. Yeah, so cool. I appreciate that. But, uh, like, I don't, I don't, I don't read in terms of like long. I wouldn't sit down and read a book versus you're not really, I would you're watch not really it on a novel TV. Reader, I like, yeah. I'm a visual. I like video. Like that's just mm-hmm. what I'm, I'm into. So which I would rather watch a, a movie done well about his book than sit down and read it. Which book. is unfortunate because he's almost never had anything done well about any of his books. Yeah, like, I can't, I can't think of close to almost you know. I'm sa- see, I'm satisfied ones. with like say Shawshank, right? Like that's Shawshank. Shawshank. See, and even yeah. though it's an expansion of a thing, Green Mile. Eh, yeah, what? see, Green I'm all good. I'm good with Stand those. by Me. Here's Stand all by Me. Of his material, no, but that yeah, seems yeah, like yeah. it's right up your alley. Yeah, well, I love my, Stand by Me. My thing is that as somebody who's really into like a lot of his material is. The things like Shawshank, Stand By Me, Green Mile that have all been done very well are like weird little sidebars or novellas are not really indicative mm-hmm. of him. You know, The Shining was a great movie, but it wasn't quite the same as the book, you know, very famously. Right. And then there's a lot of other stuff. Like, I don't think the Pet Cemetery movie is very good at all. Um, Some I, of it's okay. I don't really like the It miniseries for anything other than, like, nostalgia The Stand value. is notoriously bad, right? Uh, I know, it's, the Stand it's miniseries, Salem's Lot, like, his big, like, his hallmark, like, top tier, like, if you're talking about bands again, like, his best mm-hmm. albums, his masterpieces, yeah. have never really been done the justice. That's the stuff that I'd like and to see. So that, I'm excited for the Pet Cemetery. It should movie. hold, and that's the thing, too, is that, like, the book should, as Stephen, right? Like, his book should always be better than anyone can interpret a movie of his stuff. 
anyways, right? It's, that's books to movies almost all the time. Well, he anyway. he tra- he's also one of those transcendent. It should be very difficult to get he, in that man's mind, right? Writes, like only he should be able to kind of put that on the film, and he obviously just won't or can't. No, you know? even even that though. The problem I think with a lot of the translations is that his a lot of his books he writes in a very dense. Uh, style and it's very inner monologue and character driven so it's stuff that you just couldn't say over but, the yeah. course of a two hour movie because so much of the stuff that happens in his book happens in the minds of right. the people you know what I mean the like Shawshank it's just, effect right like Dufresne and Morgan Freeman sitting there and I think, narrating I think it's, story I think it's very telling video. that they made the Shawshank Redemption which is like a two and a half hour movie out of mm-hmm. one of his short stories yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean yeah. Like, so yeah. when you go to like a 1200 page book like The Stand yeah. It's impossible. You'd need like Game of Thrones. Yeah, honestly. it's the like, same thing too, right? So much seasons. of that shit yeah. is being this, left out, even on Game of Thrones, that they're not even touching. They're skipping whole yeah. whole novels. So you got to do so. series though, because imagine if they tried to make a Game of Thrones movie. As yeah. somebody who watched, they could never yeah. do that, right? No. It's the no. same kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's why. And again, we'll we'll end on the Stephen King thing. But you know, they made another Stephen King adaptation this year that was not popular. It, everyone loved it, but no one gave a crap about that Dark Tower movie because it's impossible to create a universe about the Dark Tower in an hour and a half movie. It's just, you can't do it. And I don't even read The Dark Tower. Same. But I know that it's nine novels long, or whatever it is, with multiple intertwining short stories and novellas over the years, and they tried to cram it into one movie with Idris Alba, where it doesn't make any sense to what people know already. I forgot I wouldn't even... Yeah. So basically, what we're saying is that if you've never read any Stephen King, you should go read either Pet Cemetery or Salem's Lot. Yes. Um... And if you read them, you should give us your opinion yes. on which one you like better and why, yeah, or know. any general Stephen King thoughts. Uh, mm. If you tweet me about Stephen King, I'll I'll see it and probably answer it, and it'll be wild. And as the, the as you can hear the sound of Charlie the Uticat scratching at the begging vents for the heat in the studio, <laughs> scratching at the vents in the studio. Uh, we will close up this episode of the show. I want to thank uh, Justin Parkinson of Made in Utica for joining us today on his big day. Congratulations again, by the way. I know we we bust your balls, but I'm very proud that you guys got this. This thing going. I, don't I wasn't want to be in the newspaper on the cover. I don't want to. I don't want people. Well, that's, that's what Katie's there for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can be a quote off uh, and put Katie yeah. out there. Just quote me. Put up everybody else in there. I don't want people looking. Can you imagine how many people picking up that newspaper saying? So you don't off. want the world to see you because you don't think that they'd understand. No, they definitely don't understand. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but everything's made to be broken. He just wants you to know who he is. Uh, follow <laughs> Justin at Maiden Utica on Twitter. Uh, follow Heather. She'll be back next week at Heather Watt. Buy the passport. The orders are out now. Oh, hey, passport's out. Word. Follow Kevin underscore Kevin Sullivan. Follow me at SF Tweet Doom. about Stephen King. Tweet about Stephen King at either of us, or just follow the show at Uticast, uh, Uticast.com. Uh, we are on Facebook, SoundCloud, Instagram. Uh, we are taking over the web. Happy Rusev Day, folks. Sayonara. Humanoids. Woodstock lives. Keep it tight. We'll be back next week. Number one on Stitcher, baby. Number one. (laughs) 